We're in Mark's Gospel. We are coming to the end of chapter 10. We're in the second part of the Gospel. So Jesus is preparing his disciples now for the one climactic event of his earthly ministry, which is what's going to happen in Jerusalem, his death on the cross, his resurrection and ascension to heaven. And for the last few chapters, the disciples with Jesus have been traveling to Jerusalem. He set his face as a flint toward that goal. And uh, they're going into Jericho, which is a city on the plain of Jordan. Um, I was very privileged in uh, July to visit uh, this part of the world. And when you're actually there, it's quite striking how low down Jericho is. It's built on the plain of the Jordan. And then Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet high in the hills. Uh, I think Penavan is about 2,800 feet. So it's quite remarkable, uh, the the height that you gain in going to the capital city. Uh, Jericho at this time was a prosperous city. Herod the Great had rebuilt much of it. It was renowned as a tourist destination. It had beautiful gardens and fountains, and people would go there uh, to see these sites. But for Jesus Christ and for us this morning, it's not those sites which we are interested in. This is the last uh, miracle uh, in terms of a person being dealt with that is recorded in Mark's gospel, the last miracle. And it's one of the few miracles where a person's name is mentioned by Mark. He hardly does that. So as Jesus goes into Jericho, there are two blind beggars asking for mercy. We know there are two from the other gospel accounts. As Jesus goes into Jericho, he deals with another gentleman called Zacchaeus, which we have in Luke. And then as he goes out of Jericho, which what our reading had, verse 46, as he went out of Jericho, we are told that one of the blind people named named Bartimaeus was healed. The other one was healed as well, but Mark concentrates on Bartimaeus. Now, this is significant. His name is mentioned. Jesus isn't interested in the touristy things in Jericho. And what Mark is drawing our attention to is not the sights of the gardens and of the fountains and of the grand buildings, but of the miracle of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sights. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Why is this so remarkable? The first point. This blindness uh, is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. That's why the miracles of Jesus are important for us. Uh, I know Jesus can physically heal people today. I've come across instances of that. But for the most of us, the great lesson in all of these miracles is that there is spiritual healing to be had. So in our studies so far in Mark, we've come across all sorts of physical afflictions, haven't we? Uh, We came across a leper being healed. Uh, There's no leprosy, thankfully, 
in our country, so we're not going to come across that today. But there's such a thing as spiritual leprosy, this disease that numbs our spiritual senses and makes us unclean before God. There is healing in Jesus Christ for that disease of sin. And then we've come across a lame man being healed. And again, uh, I don't know of anybody here who is physically lame, uh, although I know a few of you have to use walking sticks, but, <laughs> but, but there is a spiritual lameness. We can't come to Jesus in our own strength, but praise be to his name. When he saves us, he gives us the ability to come. Isn't that wonderful? We, we receive life and power in him. And then there was a demon-possessed man we came across. And thankfully, we have very few cases of demon possession. But does, doesn't that show the, the way the devil has got hold of us? Every one of us by nature has been ravaged in different ways by the devil. And Jesus Christ is more powerful than Satan. And he delivers us from the power of the evil one. Isn't that amazing? And even a dead person being brought to life. Jesus was going to raise Lazarus before he went to Jerusalem. And we are all spiritually dead before we are saved. And what happens when we are saved? We are made alive in Jesus Christ. Isn't becoming a Christian the greatest miracle in all the universe? I know we're not witnessing revival. But my friends, when the Spirit of God comes upon a person who is dead in trespasses and sins and makes them alive, I say that is better than a revival. And all that happens in a revival is that you get that happening a hundred, even a thousand times over and over again. So each Christian is a miracle of grace. And I just want us to recapture something of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do you know what a church is? A church is a cabinet of trophies of grace. Um, I'm not of the generation that displays trophies. My father uh, was into sports. Um, I don't know why I ever picked up uh, the bug. I didn't. Uh, but when he was younger, he used to display football trophies, uh, athletic trophies, and they'd be together in a cabinet. And the church is a cabinet uh, of the trophies of grace. We're not gathered here in the heath to tell people how good we are. We're just like Bartimaeus in and of ourselves, aren't we? We're blind and beggarly. But he has saved us. And we want to show forth his grace. So my first point is this. This miracle is... Uh, a demonstration of a spiritual deliverance. So um, I met a blind Christian lady once, and this is what she said. It's better to be blind and see within your hearts than to have two good eyes and see nothing. That makes you think, doesn't it? If you can see with your physical eyes, Maybe you're blind to the most important things in the world. I, I still don't get it why people are so taken up with the things of this world 
and they're not seeing the big things. Maybe that's you uh, this morning. Uh, how can I put it? Um, some of us have now reached middle age. And somebody said to me, I don't know why they call it middle age. You know, if you're 40-something, why is that called middle age? Uh, because it's not the middle, is it, of your life? Uh, most of your life is behind you when you get to your late 40s. And why don't people see that? Maybe they do see it, but they try to deny the fact that one day we're going to have to leave this world behind. That one day uh, this soul, this spirit part, this me will leave the body. One day it won't be time anymore, but eternity. Now, so many people who see so clearly in many other things, and let's be honest, we're grateful that we're living in the 21st century. I'm so grateful that God has put us here today. We've got so many good things to be thankful for. But my, aren't we blind to the most important things of life? The soul, death, what comes after death? All the emphasis is on things to do before you die. All right, we need to enjoy life maybe. But what about death and eternity? Where is that for you, for me? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Oh, we're concerned about saving the planet and maybe we need to be concerned about that. But what about saving our immortal souls? Because one day this planet will be no more. One day the whole universe will be no more. But the soul will carry on forever and ever and ever. So this blind man could see that he needed to be saved. Uh, when I became a Christian, I joined the... Have you heard of the... You've all heard of the National Ice Death, haven't you? Uh, the cultural festival that we have every summer in Wales. And there is a team that goes into the field, as we call it, of the Eisteddfod, to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And after I was converted, I joined this team. It was up in um, the Rumney Valley. We stayed in Tredega. Um, I'll never forget uh, Castle Street Church in Tredega uh, because I slept uh, in uh, the, uh, the hall there. Um, that by the by. So in the day, we would go around the Eisteddfod mice, the field, taking tracts, and in the evening, we would go around the pubs where the young people would gather and try to talk to them about Jesus Christ. And many of those young people would say to us, why are you talking to us? Even though they were half drunk. <laughs> we are all right, they were saying. Worse for wear. We are all right. You should be going to all those rough council estates and telling about Jesus to them. The people we were talking to were chapel-going people. Some of them were Sunday school teachers. And they didn't see spiritually. They thought they were all right spiritually. And that the only people who needed Jesus Christ were the ones that were rough my friends, we all need Jesus Christ. That's what Bartimaeus saw. 
That's what I came to see. That's what I long for you to come to see. Whether you are in a middle-class chapel-going home, that's a good place to be brought up, but you still need Jesus Christ to save you. You may not be guilty of outward sins, but you have respectable sins in your heart. Or you may be living in a more rough environment, and maybe you may be indulging in outward things that the Bible condemns. Well, you need Jesus Christ as well. We all need him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of our most powerful preachers in Wales in the 20th century, he preached once in the Christian Union in Oxford University. Oh, intelligent people. And one of them was offended afterwards. He came up to him and he said to him, Doctor, you were speaking to us as if we were prisoners in Oxford jail. And he took that as a compliment. Because we're all guilty. We're all in need of salvation. I don't need to say, do I, what your sin is. Sin, even if we don't think of the specifics, drunkenness, adultery, theft, murder, all those horrible things. It's the heart that's the problem. It's the heart. I, I came across this, um, those of you who are older will remember Richard Nixon, quite a um, dodgy president in the United States, and the Watergate crisis. And one of his advisors was Charles Colson. Charles Colson. And he became a Christian. And the nights he became a Christian, this is what happened to him. This is what he wrote down. That night, when I sat alone in my car, my own sin, note those words, my own sin, not just dirty politics, not just dirty politics with Tricky Dicky, as they used to call Richard Nixon, not just Tricky Dirty politics, but the hatred and evil so deep within me. That was thrust before my eyes, forcefully and painfully. And then he goes on to say, For the first time in my life, I felt unclean, and worst of all, I could not escape. And in those moments of clarity, he saw, in those moments of clarity, I found myself driven irresistibly into the arms of the living God. That's lovely. You see, Bartimaeus saw, even though he was blind, he saw that he was in need of salvation. And he saw Jesus of Nazareth. This man, this ordinary man in many ways, uh, this carpenter's son, he wouldn't have dressed in expensive clothes. He wouldn't have had a presence about him, Jesus Christ. He even looked older than he really was. Uh, he had this retinue of people with him because they'd witnessed his miracles and heard his amazing sermons. And they were all traveling through Jericho. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, what did he say? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a messianic title. It means Jesus is a man, but he's the one sent by God to save our souls. The promised Messiah. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I love preaching about Jesus Christ. I don't like preaching about sin, but I love coming to the good news that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. As the children reminded us, it is a faithful saying 
and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And not just Bartimaeus, not just sinners in the general, but to save me, the chief of sinners. Does that ring true to you? He found me, not just Charles Coulson, not just Bartimaeus, but me. And I can't get over it. He loved me, the greatest theological mind, said Paul, and gave himself for me. Can you see? I can't know, remember who said it, but one great theologian taught this prayer to himself, and I want you to pray it. Lord, I want to ask you two things. Show me myself. Show me myself. And then, show me my Jesus. Show me my Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one that can deliver us from the blindness of sin. Je Jesus Christ, where is he going? This man, this perfect man. These disciples had been with him for three years and they'd never seen him done anything amiss. And yet Jesus Christ wasn't holier than thou, looking down upon them in judgments like the religious leaders were. Jesus Christ was full of compassion. Jesus Christ was so approachable that even the little children could come to him. Where was he going? He was going to Jerusalem. And do you know what he was going to do there? He was going to die for Bartimaeus' sins. He was going to die for his disciples' sins. He was going to die for Charles Colson's sins. He was going to die for my sins. He's going to die for your sins. That's the hope. In my place, condemned, he stood sealed my pardon with his blood hallelujah there's no other religion that has the word hallelujah in it because it's all about what we do but when you change it to what christ has done and when we see that it's not my works but his there's only one response hallelujah what a savior can you see can you see you don't need to have much theology to believe in Jesus Christ. All you need to see is, I'm a sinner, and Jesus Christ is a saviour. Can I rephrase that? I'm a great sinner, but Jesus Christ is a greater saviour. So that's the first reason. Let me hurry on to the next reason why this miracle is remarkable. Not only is Bartimaeus' blindness a sign of our spiritual blindness and of the miracle of receiving sights when we're converted. But secondly, what do you note about this poor beggar Bartimaeus? What's remarkable is this. At first, when he cried out, people told him to shut up. I've got to put it like that. Um, because the crowd tried to silence him. Uh, so... Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I can't imagine Bartimaeus' cry being uh, eloquent. Can you? I can't imagine him praying, as somebody once put it, a beautiful prayer. Oh, may the Lord 
deliver us from beautiful prayers. Whatever a beautiful prayer is, I don't know. It's a heart cry. I'm not sure if it would have been grammatically correct. Maybe he would have sounded uncouth. Maybe he was shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And this religious crowd, I imagine, would have been offended. And they wanted him quiet. Many warned him to be quiet. Now, there's one thing I pray for us as a church. I love our church. I love the way the gospel is at the center and the spirits um, upon the word. That emphasis, I love that. But what I'm constantly praying for us is this. Lord, don't let us become respectable. You, you understand? Our danger as Christian people in this corner of the vineyard is to drift toward a religious, evangelical respectability. Oh, no, I don't want to be that. Lord, make us real as a church. Make, make us to be a church that is lifting Jesus Christ up in the power of the Spirit. And, oh, Lord, uh, even if people who are convicted of sin are crying out in a way that may sound uncouth to us, Lord, so be it. Even if our church, because we're lifting Jesus Christ up, is drawing like a magnet people that we may not want to mix with, oh, so be it, Lord. Because if a poor blind beggar was drawn to the Saviour in Jericho, if in Jericho a tax collector, a person that would have been regarded by the religious folk as the scum of the earth, Zacchaeus, if he was drawn to the Saviour, Oh, Lord, draw people to our church that we might not want to have, but you have chosen from eternity to save. Oh, let us beware of religious respectability. Oh, we've all been in prayer meetings, haven't we? When somebody who's just been saved has prayed for the first time, doesn't it lift the meeting up? <laughs> my first experience of that was in Aberystwyth in the little prayer meeting of the evangelical church and you'd have great prayers there and I don't mean that in a disparaging way you know there were men of God praying big prayers but then I remember a person who couldn't put sentences together in prayer because they were so nervous who didn't know the evangelical jargon who didn't have the right theological terms but there was more power in that short prayer than in all the other prayers because they had just been saved and oh I love Bartimaeus here when he's told to be quiet it drives him to cry the more to the Lord there's a hymn which br brings it all together Jesus is passing by he doesn't know if there'll be another opportunity. Jesus was going to leave Jericho and go to Jerusalem and be put to death. Jesus was not going to pass by Jericho again. And I don't know if Bartimaeus knew that, but he was going to give this all that he had. You know, becoming a Christian isn't easy believism. Oh, 
Jesus said, those who enter the kingdom of heaven take it by force. There's a holy violence to be shown if we're serious about being saved. Do you really want to be saved? That's the question Jesus asks Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Do you really want your soul to be saved for eternity? Do you really desire that? Then you've got to be serious about it. Oh, my friend, I was for three months crying to the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. I was convicted in October time. It wasn't until February when I had the assurance that Jesus had come into my heart. Uh, Bartimaeus, we're told in another gospel, I think Luke, when Jesus entered the city of Jericho, Bartimaeus was crying. Jesus only healed him when he went out of the city after a few days. So he was still crying. He was not going to give up. And there's a hymn which puts it so well. Pass me not. Can you pray this? Pass me not. Maybe you've been praying for years. Pass me not. Follow Bartimaeus' example. O gentle saviour, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. The, the week I came through, there'd just been a mission in the English Christian Union. And it was Roger Carswell and Paul Hinton that were involved. And many people came through, and I still wasn't saved. And I felt a bit like the hymnist, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. And it was in room 222, on the Sunday afterwards, I just got on my knees and I said, I give up, Lord. I give up. <laughs> and he came. He came by his Spirit. And he forgave my sins in an instant. And I saw that what Jesus had done was all that mattered. Oh, I long. I long for somebody here today. Not now, maybe this afternoon, possibly, to have that same release. Today is the day of salvation. Do not pass him by. And then one last point. This miracle is remarkable. Thirdly, not just for what happens to Bartimaeus, but for what Jesus does in response to Bartimaeus' cry. And very quickly, verse 49, Jesus stood still. Do you find that amazing? Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who had spent an eternity planning this work of salvation, which he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, we're all starting to plan for Christmas, aren't we? Uh, have you started your Christmas shopping? I, I went Christmas shopping yesterday. They've already got the decorations up. Now, we haven't spent an eternity, have we, planning for Christmas Day? But Jesus Christ, the Father, the Spirit, had been planning from eternity the work of our salvation. And now... It was about to come to pass, and now he was within a week, nearly a week, of going to that cross. Imagine what responsibilities he had in his mind. I feel in awe having to stand in this pulpit, have the responsibility of preaching uh, God's word. But the responsibility that filled Jesus Christ. And yet, at the cry of a humble, poor, blind beggar, he stops. And he gives attention to it. Isn't that amazing? Um, I came across this quote by Spurgeon. I have heard of Joshua who said, Sun, stand still. And moon, stand still. 
but I rank the blind beggar above Joshua, for he caused the son of righteousness to stand still. Isn't that good? He caused the son of righteousness to stand still. Jesus loves to hear lost souls cry to him for mercy. He loves it. Having accomplished our salvation, he's in heaven now. He's in heaven now. Do, do you know what he's doing in heaven now? He has all the authority of the universe upon his shoulders. Imagine that. Some people say to me, you must have all this responsibility, ha having all these folk at the heath to look after. Well, that's a great responsibility. But I haven't got the whole universe. Jesus has. And yet he still asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus Christ, even though now he's on the throne, even now he's governing everything, he will still hear you if you cry to him for mercy. I find that amazing. Amazing. He's heard millions, billions of people ever since he's ascended into heaven who've cried to him for mercy. I don't want you to imagine where I stand politically with this next illustration. But I've been reading about Margaret Thatcher. And when she was Prime Minister in 10 Downing Street, she would have people write letters to her. Now, what most Prime Ministers do is they get a secretary to write a response in their name. Apparently, Margaret Thatcher tried to respond personally to every letter. And she once had a letter from a boy who was worried about his parents getting a divorce. And she wrote back to him. She actually wrote her own letter to this boy. And she said to him, uh, as a PS, and perhaps you would tell your parents that you have written to me and show them this letter. I should so much like to know what happens. Perhaps you would let me know if you ever come to London and I could arrange for someone to take you to see Parliament and I could speak to you myself. Now, whatever your political leanings you have to be touched by that. This person who had all this responsibility responding to a letter by a boy. Now, if the marital problems worrying a little boy caused a prime minister who was a fallen human being to respond in such a way, how much more should the problems of our immortal souls, which are much bigger, aren't they? And our need of salvation. Interest one who is perfect and who delights to save sinners. I just want you to follow Bartimaeus' example and just call to Jesus this morning to save you. Let me just finish by carrying on the hymn I quoted. Let me, even today, at the throne of mercy, find a sweet relief, kneeling there in deep contrition. Help mine unbelief. Be honest with him, trusting only in thy merits what Jesus has done. While I seek thy face, heal my wounded, broken spirit. Save me by thy grace. Oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Pray that prayer. If he hasn't heard you, 
he will, he will carry on calling until you know that he now has come into your hearts and you'll be able to say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is my story. This is my song. What's your story? What's your song? For his name's sake. Amen.